Get Sleepy is a production of Slumber Studios and is made possible thanks to the generous support of our sponsors and premium members. If you'd like to listen ad-free and access weekly bonus episodes, extra long stories, and our entire back catalogue, you can try out Premium free for seven days by following the link in the episode notes. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. Welcome to Get Sleepy, where we listen, we relax, and we get sleepy. My name's Thomas, and I'm your host. Thanks so much for tuning in. Tonight's fascinating story was written by Jessica Miller. We'll be delving into the rather befitting history of beds. From ancient Egypt to the present day, from prehistoric sub-Saharan Africa to the cosy inns of Renaissance England, the story of beds will carry us through millennia and around the globe. First though, there are plenty of ways to listen to the show, and one of the newest places to do so is on our Get Sleepy YouTube channel. There, you'll find all of our Monday and Wednesday stories and meditations accompanied by soothing visuals to help you drift off. Plus, we have a number of playlists featuring specific genres or narrators and community polls and questions where you can get involved and chat directly to the team and to fellow sleepyheads. Our mission from the very beginning and still to this day is to help as many people as possible anywhere in the world to get a better night's sleep. So if you can just spare a minute of your time to check out our YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button while you're there, that would be so greatly appreciated. You can search Get Sleepy to find us on YouTube or follow the link that I'll put in the show notes. Thank you so much for supporting everything we do. Before we begin our story, take a moment or two to pause and prepare your body for sleep. If it helps you to settle, then just follow my count for a couple of breaths, taking a deep inhale for one, two, three, four, five, and slowly exhale for five, four, three, two, one. One more time, breathing in, two, three, four, five, and out, four, three, two, one. We'll be talking a lot tonight about different kinds of beds. So if you're lying in bed right now, why not take a few moments to mindfully notice the sensations that you experience in your own bed? Feel how your mattress supports your body. 
observe how your pillow feels underneath your head and neck. Run your hands across any blankets or linens that are covering you. Notice how the fabric feels beneath your fingers and against your skin. Are there any other sensations you're experiencing? Is there a light breeze coming through the window? Can you hear rain outside? Is the air around you warm or cool? Find a comfortable position, whether you're lying flat on your back or curled on your side, whatever feels good for you. Now that you're relaxed and ready to begin, I'd like you to close your eyes and listen to the sound of my voice as I guide you through the history of beds. Sleep is one of the most basic, primal human needs. A deep, refreshing sleep is the key to replenishing our body's stores of energy, boosting our mood, enhancing health and organ function, and improving our mental agility. While we sleep, our body repairs its cells our nerves communicate, and our brain creates and stores new memories. Long before the invention of the modern bed, humans slept. We slept in ways that nowadays might seem a little strange. Sleeping on piles of fern branches grasses and palm fronds predates anatomically modern humans, and evidence shows, for example, that pre-human hominids often slept in trees. Snoozing several feet above the ground on a precarious tree branch might sound uncomfortable and impractical but it served an important purpose. Sleeping in this elevated way kept our ancestors safe from the predatory animals that roamed the land at night. How did they keep from falling out? Well, it's hard to say for sure, 
But have you ever experienced the sensation of falling just before drifting off to sleep and jerked awake? That strange sensation is known as a hypnic jerk. Some researchers believe this is a reflex left over from the days when we slept in trees. As soon as we began to fall, our brains snapped to attention so we could stay safely nestled in the branches. When we weren't sleeping in trees, we preferred to take shelter in safe, enclosed spaces like caves. Archaeologists studying the traces of early human life in Hines Cave, Texas, have found small hollows in the ground there. They believe that's where the prehistoric humans who lived in and around this cave slept. They likely passed the night on piles of straw, dried grasses, or furs, The shape of the hollows suggests that these early humans slept curled up like a ball, probably for warmth. For the same reason, they seem to have slept very close together. The world's oldest known mattress was found in sub-Saharan Africa and it dates back roughly to the year 3600 BCE. This mattress was found in Sibudu Cave in South Africa. It is woven from sedge and topped with a layer of dried leaves from the Cape Quince tree. Early mattresses like this one were probably made with plants that were known to have insect-repellent properties. But to uncover the story of some of the world's earliest known beds, we need to visit the remote Scottish island of Mainland, the largest of the Orkney Islands. In 1850, a violent storm whipped up in the Bay of Scale on the island's west coast. As rain and wind lashed the island, a grassy hill known to the locals as Scara Bray was eroded. What the islanders found beneath in the rubble of earth was astonishing. The perfectly preserved stone remains of a Neolithic village. The settlement is more than 5,000 years old and consists of nine houses. Archaeologists have uncovered tools, jewelry, and even dice at the site and in every stone cottage, 
they found the same piece of furniture, a box-shaped bed frame hewn from stone. Closer examination of the stone beds of Scara Bray reveals that they are made of two discrete compartments, one slightly larger than the other, which suggests that men and women slept in separate but adjoining compartments of the same bed. Likely, they would have slept on mattresses woven from the sturdy heather that grows wild across the island, and slept under furs to keep warm on chilly Orkney nights when the wind howled and the sea lashed at the shore. Imagine sleeping in one of these stone beds, wrapped in heavy blankets to ward off the fresh, sharp air of the Orkney Islands. You smell sea salt and the mingled aroma of wood and moss from the heather that makes up your mattress. Outside your hut, gulls and kittiwakes and white-tailed eagles swoop and cry. Inside, you are snug and warm. You listen to the low crackle of the fire and the gusting of the wind as you drift into sleep. The lower layers of many of the earliest types of bedding were thought to be similar to branch piles, on top of which softer materials would have been placed for comfort. The purpose of the lower layers was to elevate the sleeping area, to keep the sleeper away from bugs and dirt, and to protect from drafts coming in from under the sides of a tent. Additionally, hammocks are known to have been used by our ancestors for sleeping in places like Mesoamerica and India, though it's uncertain when the practice began, given that hammock materials typically don't preserve well in the archaeological record. However, it's believed by many that the first raised built beds were invented by the ancient Egyptians, who slept on a bed frame with feet, sometimes even carved into the shape of animal feet, designed to keep the sleeper elevated from the floor, where insects and scorpions sometimes roamed. Rather than soft, squishy pillows, they favored headrests made from wood or glass, which kept the sleeper's head elevated through the night. 
on a more comfortable note. Wealthy Egyptians also slept swathed in linen, which they sometimes dampened before bed, to keep them cool through the hot desert evenings. Imagine sleeping in an Egyptian villa on the banks of the Nile River. You hear the swaying of rushes, the gentle ripple of the water, and a chorus of frogs and insects outside. In your room, you are wrapped in light, cool layers of perfumed linen. A gentle breeze moves over your skin, while your eyelids grow heavier and heavier. In ancient Rome, your bed spoke volumes about your wealth and status. Lowly workers slept on wooden bed frames, while high-class Romans slept quite literally at a higher level than their fellow citizens on ornately carved metal bed frames that were raised off the floor. Often, they needed a footstool to climb into their elevated beds. The Romans slept well on mattresses made from straw, feathers, or leaves, and bedding woven from wool or hemp. But beds were not used exclusively for sleep. The Romans studied, read, and wrote on luxurious daybeds too and rather than gather around the dining table on chairs, wealthy Romans reclined on dining beds, propping themselves up with plenty of cushions so they could help themselves to food and drink. Beds were just as important for the ancient Greeks and even feature in one of the epic Greek poems, the Odyssey. Odysseus, the hero of the tale, sets off on an eventful voyage around the Mediterranean that sees him fend off the seductive song of sirens, outwit the one-eyed cyclops, and linger on the enchanted island of the witch Circe, before finally returning home in disguise to his wife Penelope. Penelope devises a test to uncover Odysseus's true identity. She asks him to move their carved wooden marital bed. Odysseus panics he knows the bed cannot be moved. He carved it himself before he left from the stump of an olive tree. 
the bedroom and house have all been built around the tree that makes up their bed. Seeing Odysseus's panic, Penelope knows her husband has returned. The immovable wooden bed is said to symbolize the strength and steadfastness of Penelope and Odysseus's union. Traditional bed design in northern China was influenced by the frigid weather in the region. Here, people used to sleep on kangs, stone beds ingeniously heated by a flue system that was connected to a house's central fire, usually the kitchen fire. While it took some time for the stone to heat up, the kang retained its heat for the course of the night. Swaddled in bedding, and with the heat of the stone gently seeping through their limbs, sleepers stayed warm even through wintry blizzards. In some houses, the kang was very large and took up most of the room. It would also be used for eating and socializing. And in inns, travelers often slept together on one enormous kang. Imagine sleeping on a kang in northern China. Outside, the wind is whipping across the plains, and snow is falling heavily. When you wake up, the world outside will be blanketed in a thick white layer of snow, muffling every sound. Now you feel the warmth of the stone creeping up through the layers of blankets and into your body, warming your muscles and your bones. Feeling deliciously comfortable, you drift into a deep, deep sleep. In medieval and renaissance Europe, the bed was considered the most important and valuable item in the home. From the 1400s on, wealthy Europeans preferred to sleep in four-poster beds, hung with thick canopies that formed a curtain around the sleeper. These canopies gave beds the look of a miniature theatre, which was certainly appropriate, as nobles and wealthy merchants also used their beds to display great quantities of fine textiles. In addition to showing off sumptuous fabrics, pillows, 
bolsters and tapestries. People would also signal how wealthy they were by stacking mattresses on top of each other. As many as six mattresses might be stacked onto a bed frame, a marked difference to some other countries, like Japan and Kazakhstan, where even the wealthiest nobles elected to sleep on thin mattresses on the floor. These European beds were so lavishly decorated and dressed that often a sleeper would need the help of a servant to ascend the bed frame and push their way through the heavy canopies surrounding the mattress. Some beds even had space under the ornate bed frame for another, far simpler, trundle bed where a servant could sleep overnight. The lower and middle classes didn't sleep in such opulent style, but it was not uncommon for even poorer homes to feature a proper bed. This was made up of a bed frame, a mattress, and a lattice of interlocking rope or cord at the base of the frame, designed for the mattress to rest upon. Every few days, the cords of this lattice were pulled taut by hand to prevent the mattress from slipping and sliding in the night. Up to a third of the typical Renaissance family's wealth would be spent on the bed and its linens. It's no wonder, then, that beds were treasured heirlooms, handed down from one generation to the next in wills. William Shakespeare famously left his wife Anne his second-best bed, This second best bed was likely to have been William and Anne's marriage bed. In many Renaissance homes, the best bed wasn't kept in the bedroom at all, but displayed in a living area, decked out in sumptuous linens and blankets, in a show of wealth. Only guests actually slept in the best bed. In royal circles, it became increasingly fashionable for rulers to hold court from their beds. In France, Emperor Louis XIV routinely received visitors in his bedchambers including foreign dignitaries on sensitive political missions. Louis was reported to own 413 beds. His favoured bed at Versailles was hung with rich fabric embroidered with real gold. 
courtiers who were in favor with the French emperor were even invited into his bedchamber while he was sleeping. Being granted the opportunity to watch Louis nod off at night or slowly wake in the mornings was considered an exceedingly high honor. The English monarch Elizabeth I rivaled Louis XIV in her taste for lavish beds. Depending on which of her palaces she occupied, Elizabeth had a choice of beds to sleep in. Richmond Palace, situated on the bank of the River Thames, in a large, leafy park where deer nibbled at the grass, was one of Elizabeth's favorite retreats. When she stayed here, she slept in a bed carved in the shape of a boat and hung with seafoam green curtains. At Whitehall Palace in the heart of London, Elizabeth would stay up late into the night, banqueting and meeting with nobles from across the continent, before falling asleep in a bed hung with hand-painted curtains of Indian silk. And, just for good measure, one of Elizabeth's beds always traveled with her from palace to palace. Its tapestry curtains were studded with gold and silver buttons, and ostrich feathers decorated the headboard. In the intimate confines of her bedchamber, Elizabeth would take off her heavy makeup and gossip with her favored ladies-in-waiting. Although she never married, Elizabeth rarely slept alone. One of her ladies often slept with her, being chosen to share the queen's bed was considered a great privilege. Imagine sleeping in the ornate, boat-shaped bed. You lounge back on a mound of silk pillows, covered in heavy blankets, woven from the finest fabrics. From a distance, you hear the gentle chatter and bustle of the palace not loud enough to disturb you, but a pleasingly quiet hum. You draw the ocean-colored silk curtains around you, and, nestled in the prow of the boat-shaped bed, you can almost sense the rocking of waves up and down up and down, as you let yourself 
ease into sleep. In fact, throughout the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, Europeans rarely slept alone. Families slept together, not just peasant families, but aristocratic ones too. Travelers and guests were invited to share the family bed. Strict rules of etiquette governed who slept where, and sleepers were often separated by age and gender. Infants slept in cradles, which their parents hung with amulets made from coral, believed to promise a long life, or wolf's teeth believed to ward off attackers. Under the domed ceilings of London's Victoria and Albert Museum of Decorative Arts, visitors can see one of the most impressively large beds to have survived from this period, the Great Bed of Ware. Ware is a town in Hertfordshire, not far from London. In the days when the Great Bed took pride of place in the White Hart Inn, Ware was a small, picturesque cluster of cottages, shops, and farms. Two rivers meet here, the River Lee and the New River. Rushes and willows line the riverbanks, and swans swim in feathered white flocks along their glassy surfaces. In the 16th century, when the bed was built, Ware was about a day's journey on horseback from the capital. It lay on one of the old Roman roads, known as Ermine Street, joining London with Lincoln, a bustling city in the English Midlands. Come nightfall, the inns of Ware would fill with travellers stopping on their way to one of the destinations along Ermine Street like the University City of Cambridge, the rolling green of the Lincolnshire Wolds, or even further north to York, once a Viking settlement. Travellers at the White Hart Inn would have had the opportunity to stay in the Great Bed. Built by the Hertfordshire carpenter, Jonas Fosberg, it was one of the largest beds in the country, standing more than two and a half meters high and over three meters wide. It comfortably accommodated up to four couples at a time. 
in keeping with the fashion of the time. Its oak frame is richly carved with a ribbon motif, acanthus leaves, and mythical creatures like fauns and satyrs. Fosberg's craftsmanship was added to and embellished over the years, as those who stayed the night in the great bed made their own marks on its impressive wooden frame. These days, visitors to the V&A Museum can still see the carved initials and red wax seals imprinted on the bed by past sleepers. People didn't just share beds with their families or fellow travelers. Young, unmarried couples often spent the night in the same bed in a courtship ritual known as bundling. In places like rural Wales, before courting couples could marry, they first had to spend the night together talking and getting to know each other to ensure the union would be a happy one. And to ensure they remained chaste, they were quite literally bundled into sacks up to their waists and sometimes even separated by a wooden board laid across the bed. If, after spending the night bundled together, the young lovers still liked each other well enough to marry, their union could go ahead as planned. Until the advent of electric lighting, our sleeping habits were, to modern eyes, rather unusual. Instead of going to bed at night and waking in the morning, people slept in two shifts known as first sleep and second sleep, punctuated by a period of wakefulness known as the watch. The watch occurred roughly between midnight and 2 a.m., Under the light of oil lamps, candles, or rushlights, a kind of taper fashioned from the waxed stems of rushes, people would tend to household tasks like mixing bread dough or stoking the household fires, engage in reading, prayer, or quiet contemplation, or simply sit and talk with one another about the day's events. Imagine returning to bed after the watch. Your mind is calm and quiet after the hours you have spent reading, thinking, and gazing into the dwindling fire. 
your pillow is cool and your sheets are smooth. You climb gratefully back into bed and fall almost immediately into a deeply refreshing sleep. The Industrial Revolution and the invention of electricity saw people slowly move away from sleeping in two shifts. Rather than working in time to sunrise and sunset, more and more people began working in regimented factory shifts. Meanwhile, electric lighting meant it was easier to work late into the night and compress sleep into one efficient eight-hour shift. In Europe, and especially in England, the Victorians began to place more value on both privacy and sleep hygiene. This meant an end to practices like bed sharing, Among the upper classes, every member of the family had a separate sleeping space. This was sometimes even true for married couples. And the bedroom was reserved for sleeping, not gossiping, eating, or entertaining. Bed frames began to be made from iron instead of wood, as it was easier to clean. For this same reason, ornate drapery and heavily embroidered linens also began to fall from favor. Of course, not everyone was so strict about sleep hygiene. Born in the Victorian era, the British Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, spent a large amount of each day in bed. Although he woke shortly after seven most mornings, Churchill would stay in bed until after eleven. He breakfasted in bed and caught up on the day's newspapers there, and even invited his secretary into the bedroom so he could dictate correspondence to her. He also, famously, was a great believer in the powers of napping, and made a point of having a refreshing sleep at about 5pm each evening. At the end of the 19th century, New York City was growing increasingly crowded as people from all over the globe arrived to try and make their fortunes in the modern metropolis. As a result, sleeping quarters grew more and more cramped. The solution? the folding bed. 
The first folding bed was designed in the late 19th century by Sarah Good. When Good registered the patent for this innovative bed, she became one of the first African-American women to receive a patent. It was designed to be tucked away during the day in a roll-top cabinet that could double up as a desk. And at night, Good's folding bed could be lifted from its hidden compartment and stretched out without breaking. Folding beds quickly became popular among the inhabitants of New York's tenement apartments who wanted to maximize their small living spaces. We're coming to the end of this sleepy history of beds now. We've heard about beds in sub-Saharan Africa and the Scottish Highlands, Renaissance Europe, and turn-of-the-twentieth-century New York. Beds covered in light linen, and beds draped in rich embroidered blankets. But all these different beds share one common purpose, to support deep, refreshing, and replenishing sleep. Perhaps you're feeling ready for sleep now, yourself. If you're lying in a bed, sink back into your pillows. Feel the mattress underneath you. Notice the way your blankets are arranged around you. Let your eyes drift slowly closed, if they aren't closed already. Relax your body from the top of your head, out to the tips of your fingers, and down to the bottoms of your feet. Deepen your breath. Fall into an easy rhythm of inhales and exhales. And let yourself be carried off into sleep as you dream about all the wonderful, comfortable beds people have slept in throughout history.